What's up, everyone? Welcome to the third episode of Fear and Loathing in Cinema. Oh, so happy to do this again. I'm Brian Kluger, and I'm joined by the host with the most, the guy who I want to swim with away from the aliens, <laughs> Dan Moran. How the hell are you? Doing pretty good. I'm excited to be talking about our never-ending sequel discussion on this Fear and Loathing episode. <laughs> we just keep adding on different sequels, and we're eventually going to run out, I would think, but we're not there yet, so we're going to keep trudging through them. We are. Speed 2, Jurassic Park 3, and now this episode, Alien Resurrection, otherwise known as Alien 4, our main yeah. feature. Oh, man, we're going to have so much fun talking about this. Uh, we miss everybody, uh, and we're just happy to be here. But let's first, before we get into Alien Resurrection, um, Dan had the extreme opportunity to see the big movie of the year of 2020. Allegedly, it was supposed to be out in the summer, but now he saw it uh, just recently. It's coming out this weekend. Tenet, Christopher Nolan's Tenet, the guy who brought us a Dark Knight trilogy in the Prestige, Inception. Oh my, it's his new movie, uh, Tenet. Dan saw it and watched it. There's a review on Boomstick for it, but we got to hear it from the man first. Dan, Tenet, okay, first off, I got to know, what were your expectations going in? And then in a sentence or two, what, were, what, what, what was the result after viewing? My expectations were sky high. It's Christopher Nolan. It's John David Washington, who I actually really like. It's the Robert Pattinson revolution coming back. We got him in it. Of course, we got a Michael Caine cameo. Um, and I was excited. It's Christopher Nolan doing an original script. We don't get a lot of that. And that's one thing before I go into my feelings about it is I'm not going to sit here and knock a studio or a movie that gives somebody with an original script $200 million and says, Go have fun. We need more of that. I want more of it. I need to see more of it. All of that being said, <laughs> this is middle of the road Nolan. Middle to lower end of his film catalog for me. It felt more like playing a greatest hits album, though it didn't reach the, the heights of his previous movies. And, you know, 90, a 95, 90... Mid-tier Nolan is better than 95% of anything that we're going to see in 2020 or even in the years to come. So, so I really shouldn't nitpick. So do you think Christopher Nolan is at the status of like Tarantino or Scorsese or Wes Anderson where there's really not a bad movie or does he have bad movies? I think he has bad movies. Okay, there you I go. I think he has movies because even bad Tarantino or bad Scorsese, I, I've probably seen their quote-unquote bad movies numerous times you know i'll go back i'll revisit a bad tarantino movie i'll go back and revisit that i'm not sure that i'm not sure i'll go back and watch something like tenet 12 times like i remember when inception came out which i just loved inception and granted i was working at a movie theater at the time but i think i saw that movie 10 times and i saw pieces of that movie 40 times <laughs> so it's just you know just walking by the projection booth upstairs you're like oh this is when all the the road's about to fold over and we're gonna explain the dreams yeah i'll watch five minutes of that here and there i mean the dark knight i've seen oh gosh you can't even name how many times i've seen that we had, i worked at uh, the local gateway which is a 16 plex and i borrowed enough prints this was back when it was film and i was the projectionist over there and I got it to run on 10 of the 16 screens at the same time for the midnight showing. So I'll rewatch Nolan, but I don't know. This is just this, this, it felt like his greatest hits that just didn't live up to it. All right. So, uh, so it lets you down in a certain way. It let me down, but I also want to point out my expectations were so high. I mean, so high that it was going to be a high. Was gonna like, be this was going to be the next dark, dark Knight, the next Inception, like, the next big movie, the, ne the next, like, um, Mad Max to you. Yeah, I thought I was going to walk out of it and say, well, they won't do it because the Academy sucks, but this movie should have been nominated for Best Original Screenplay. It should maybe have an acting nomination. This movie is going to do everything, and instead it was Nolan essentially going, hey, guys, do you like me to crash planes into things 
I've got that. Do you like characters with masks on and you can't really understand what they're saying? I've got that. Are you guys really interested in some form of time travel that I'm never going to explain to you whatsoever? Because there's a ton of that. It seems like this movie, Tenet, should be on this podcast. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't <laughs> Maybe. Maybe one day. We're going to have to run out of a... I mean, it's good enough. Honestly, we should do a breakdown of Tenet when we can talk about spoilers because I did a deep dive into Reddit. And oh, I you got plugged in Matrix style. I think I might... I, I mean, listen, I may walk out of it being the minority. I think if I was putting it on a grading scale, I'd give it a 79 or an 80 which doesn't sound like a bad score. So you're giving it a B. Yeah, but for Nolan, to me, like, I'm like, (laughs) okay. I mean, I didn't even really like Interstellar, but I was like, that's an 85. I cried in that movie. Right? This movie, I didn't didn't care about one character, which I think was a big problem. Okay. Not one character. Normally, he he really relies on the charisma of his actors. Like, DiCaprio's explaining ridiculous shit in Inception, but I'm like, absolutely leo this makes perfect sense to me because it's dicaprio and you just buy into whatever garbage he's putting on screen because he's such a good actor and i think john david washington and pattinson are both very charismatic on screen and he didn't use that for them at all most of the time they had masks on or were mumbling or just running or time traveling they didn't he didn't use them to their best of their ability so i was just a little disappointed that's all Go see it, guys. The theaters are open. I mean, okay, I well, don't want to get into that. Well, that that bring that brings us our ta- our our next thing. Yeah. Theaters are opening now. They opened last Friday or a week ago, and because of Tenant, because of Tenant, they want every tenants opening. No, up. it was the New Mutants. Yes, yeah, the New Mutants. <laughs> yes, yes, that's good. New Mutants that that they did not screen for critics whatsoever mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, but yeah, I for, seen it. for Tenant. So yeah. Um, and so what do you feel about this? Do you think it's the right time? Do you think Tenet is worth going and potentially being exposed to COVID for? Or, I mean, is, are you happy that the theaters are opening? Do you think they're doing safety measures like they should? What do you think? So everything I've read sounds like they're working very hard. And obviously, you know, from the attorney side of me, there's a lot of liability of bringing a bunch of random strangers into a dark room for hours at a time and all bringing the same air with an airborne illness. It just sounds like a bad idea on paper. Just Point blank sounds like a bad idea. But putting the politics aside of this whole COVID thing, there are people, I mean, I see them in my neighborhood. I see them on my way to the grocery store that are just living their life like nothing's going on and are just in full send it mode. Like (laughs) they just are going to live their life. And I can't, at this point, you're not going to be able to convince those people. So if they want to go out and see Tenet on a big screen, I'm not going to tell them no. I know it keeps our, our passions alive. So I don't know if I'm ready to go to a sold out 7.15 p.m. showing of Tenet on the local IMAX theater with 150 other people personally, right. but but if someone is, then I'm not going to completely judge them. And I'll tell you what, Tenet's way better. If you're going to get COVID, if we're just doing a movie ranking, I'd rather tell people I got COVID from going to see Tenet than from seeing Unhinged. <laughs> right? Oh I mean, my. just at the end of the day, like, hey, here lies Dan Moran. But, you know, he had to see that Nolan movie. Not <laughs> Russell Crowe yelled at me on an Instagram video. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty good. Uh, oh, my. So. What are your feelings? Are you going to be going back? No, no, I'm not. That's why, yeah, I've been asked by PR people. And, like, I'm not comfortable with going to a little box with 150 people in it. And, you know, even though if it's still only critics going to it, it it's still we're we're not there yet and i'm not going to go because it'll be interesting within the next two weeks especially when schools are reopening for everybody and theaters mm-hmm. like this because this is like the plate these are the and places football. like arenas you know where like we'll see if there's an outbreak you know hopefully there's not if there's not oh my god i'm going to be at the movie theater all day because it's been so long, but I just don't see that happening. I think there's going to be more outbreaks with schools and theaters opening. Well, that's why I think it's funny that you said New Mutants wasn't screened for critics, but there have been other movies where I've gotten an email and there's a local theater up here that hadn't been open yet. And they said, hey, we're bringing up 70 critics. We're playing the movie on four different screens all at the same time. So you guys can all be spaced out. It'll be like 15 people per theater 
and some of these individual theaters seat 150 to 200 people so like I it's essentially seeing a solo show and I looked at it and now part of it was the movies they were offering but at the same time I was just like I'd like to see that and I just clicked no I was like yeah sorry guys so I'm right there with you but it's tough for me to tell somebody who maybe doesn't have kids or isn't married and is just like a single guy who's 27 and love and is healthy and loves movies and right now he can go see Tenet I'm kind of like you know what if I didn't have my wife and kids right now the age I'm at and had no responsibilities like <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to Tenet <laughs> there's a good chance I might go, I'd go out to a movie theater or I would you know go out to a dinner like I don't know what I would do but yeah just where I am personally I don't think I can do it yet I can't bring myself to do it right yeah no I'm I, I'm there with you yes <laughs> But I, I am glad you got to see Tenet. I'm I'm glad that, uh, well, I'm not glad that it wasn't everything you wanted it to be. You know, I think we all want the directors to succeed. And, you know, most of the time we're complaining that studio execs step in and fuck up an artist's vision. But sometimes these artists, these directors need somebody to step in and say, hey, look, pull your head out of your own ass and let's. (laughs) And that's why it's tough for me to sit here and and really, it sounds like I'm dumping on it, but really it was sky high expectations and I just didn't feel like it lived up to his previous movies. So I'm giving it somewhat of a negative score, but you know, use a sports analogy, you know, you win six Super Bowls. Like, what's your worst performance in winning a Super? Like, that's how I feel Nolan's at at this point. Like, he's just well. That's like, why I bring up like Tarantino and Wes Anderson. Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. They're argue or unarguably never made a bad movie. Like Spielberg has made a bad movie. Absolutely. And Francis Ford Coppola has made bad movies, but those three directors really haven't. So um, if you frame and, it that way, then yeah, I would not say Tenet is a bad movie by any stretch. It's just, but yeah, you're, but when we rank Tarantino and stuff like that, where, and we do it with Nolan, where does it fall on his spectrum? Yes, it's still a good movie compared to 98% of the rest of the films out there. But uh, this one was, from what I've heard, because I haven't seen it yet, is that his head was up his own ass and it was all the visuals that were the top of the line and he forgot about story and character. Yes, that's, yeah, that is exactly. Now you don't have to see it. Congrats, you can stay home this weekend. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, well, I mean, I'm definitely going to see it at some point. I just don't yeah. know when. And yeah, when this charge, was the big, huh? When they charge $31 in about, what, a month? Right, yeah. yeah there, there, no chance then either. <laughs> no chance of renting anything for $30. I don't care what it is. Oh. <laughs> I'm really interested to see what they're going to do with that Mulan. So I, they sent a screener for that, um, oh. for Mulan. I'll let you know how it is. I'm probably going to watch it today. Uh, so I'll let you know um, how the live action Mulan Like is. How, long, how long until they just quit and they just make it available to myself who has Disney Plus? Well, like I mean, it, it's, it's going to be on Disney Plus. Like for this $30. Week, for 30 bucks, yeah, in addition to your subscription. Which, which I'm not is, paying yeah, no, $30. So nobody should when... pay for that, to rent a movie for 30 right. bucks for an so existing subscription. It's a right. terrible precedent because if it fucking makes money, what's stopping Netflix and Hulu from doing the same thing? Well, that's what I'm interested in seeing what's going to happen is, is it going to be a success? I know Disney will spin it as a success no matter what, but is it going to be an actual, is there going to be a thing out there where they're like, Hey, you know, 500,000 people downloaded this thing on opening weekend. And I'm like doing the math in my head. I was like, that's a lot of money. You know, well, I know it's a lot of money. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I'm not for it. They should just release it free exclusively to Disney plus people will subscribe to it. Like new subscribers will come like, Oh, they got this. It happens with the WWE network. They charge 10 bucks a month and you get all the pay-per-views and people will like sign up for just one month or they'll keep it for a while. You know, it just, that's the way to do it. Exclusivity, keep it the same. Don't charge extra for it. It's like microtransactions. It is, it is, it is. But a fucking yeah. giant microtransaction. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's a macro transaction. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a microtransaction that you don't get to keep. Well, then again, look at, you're talking... You're talking to the idiot that said 
right now, if he could watch No Time to Die for $50, he would do it. So it's like, I'm sitting here yelling. I'm sitting here yelling and complaining about the price of Mulan. But honestly, if someone had like, I'd be like, put it, inject it straight into my veins. Here's my $50. Like, let's, let's go. Right, right. All right. All right. So there's Tenet. There's movies, op- the theaters are opening, all that good stuff. But let's get to our main event. Oh, my God. Uh, Alien Resurrection, 1997. Alien Resurrection, that's our main feature today. Um, this is Alien 4. You know, there was Alien, there was Aliens, there was Alien 3, and then Alien Resurrection. The fourth one, 1997, directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet. Jeune- uh, which he is an amazing fucking director. This French director did Delicatessen, The City of Lost Children, Amelie, A Very Long Engagement, and Micmax. Jesus Christ. Like, talk about a guy who hasn't made a bad film. <laughs> Minus the one we're talking about now. Uh, so... The, that that's the director he is amazing and if you have you most of you have probably only seen amelie but please seek out delicatessen in the city of lost children they are amazing as well as micmacs they are fantastic um and then it was written by crazy enough everybody forgets this alien resurrection was written by joss whedon yes buffy the vampire slayer angel serenity firefly and avengers one and avengers age of ultron yes joss whedon wrote alien resurrection it brought back sigourney weaver but it added a bunch of people in the movie that kind of uh they were getting their start out like winona Ryder, ron perlman dan hadea brad duraf the voice of chucky uh (laughs) that just it's it's insane so this movie was made for $70 million and it made just about double that. I mean, yes, it made its money back and all that stuff, but I wouldn't call it like a big Hollywood blockbuster big. Um, it was probably, you know, the worst performing one I would imagine. But and we know that we know that it wasn't, they didn't consider it successful because they set themselves up for a sequel at the end of this film legitimately where are we going next was like mapped out and we'll get into the production and some of the writing, but they had a place to go and the studio completely said, Nope, we are not going back down this rabbit hole again. We are done. And they made four movies since then. Or five. Well, none none no, of four. which have been a sequel to this. So, right. yeah, but okay. So let's start with our own, you know, background of this movie. I saw this movie it, when it came out, it, it was released. Thanksgiving weekend in 1997. My dad is a huge Alien fan, and maybe my love for movies, as I explained many times before on this network, that he brought me to see Aliens, the second one by James Cameron, which came out in 86 or 87, so I was about five years old. He brought me to see that when I was that young in the theater, and I loved it, I was scared, and then that night when I was sleeping, he put my mom's pantyhose on his head, so kind of like the <laughs> leggings and tentacles. No. And he crawled on all fours and grabbed me and scared the shit out of me. I cried. I was happy. It just, and it, I think it like scarred me for my love of film. So I have a very close relationship with Alien. So my dad and I, of course, Thanksgiving weekend, went to see Alien Resurrection. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I remember seeing it. I'm like, I think because I was 16 or 15 or 16. I must have been 16 at the time because it was November 26th. So I remember seeing it and like, there was some cool stuff here, but there's not a lot there. And we'll talk about it. But that was my original thoughts about that. Dan, what about you? So I grew up with a VHS tape of Aliens and T2. So I had like the James Cameron, like, double feature that like my dad recorded off showtime or something like that and the best part about it was just a quick side note i did not see the actual ending to terminator 2 until about three or four years ago like the final 10 minutes of the movie because that's where the tape cut off so my whole life i was just like i'm never gonna watch the actual 10 the last 10 minutes of this movie until i like absolutely have to and i did but we had aliens which 
is an insane, incredible, I mean, when you're eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, and you're watching Aliens, that movie is awesome. Yes, and, it is. Yeah, and so I don't re- specifically remember Alien 3, but I specifically remember always watching Aliens. And when this movie came out, I know that we saw it when it was snowing. So I want to say it was a little bit further in its run. I don't think we saw it Thanksgiving week, but I know that my dad also took me to see it. And I remember walking out going, wow, they can swim now was essentially like, <laughs> you know what I mean? When I'm like 12, I was like 12, probably, yeah, I was 12. And so I probably walked out, was like, they can swim. Got to be careful in water now, guys. Like that was my big film criticism. <laughs> right. Cause I remember the trailer for alien resurrection and there was like a one or two second clip of them swimming and everyone's like, Oh shit, they can swim. That's, Very exciting. That just burned in my brain of being 12 years old being like, you guys, we got to stay out of the water now. Like space was scary, but now they're in water. <laughs> right. So, uh, and I've watched it over the years because there's been so many, so many uh, releases of this on DVD, quadrilogies, Blu-rays, 4K. You know, there's been a ton of releases of the Alien quadrilogy, Aliens 1, 2, 3, and Resurrection 4. Um, but it had been two or three years, maybe a little longer, since I've actually watched Alien Resurrection. So both Dan and I, in our respective houses, watched it within the last 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> we sure did. I mean, I think I, I think about two years ago, it was uh, HBO had all of the Alien movies on there. And I was like, I'm going to crank these out. And I watched, you know, Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection. And I watched Prometheus. Um, so I think I've seen it twice now within probably a calendar year. <laughs> but you're probably watching it different now since we're looking for things. Yes. And we're, on, we're doing a show and we're, we're there to talk about the aspects and elements of where it went wrong or why it went wrong. So I think we're watching it from a different perspective. We're a little older and we just have a different view of it now. Oh, and yeah. it's so much fun to watch it that way because there's a lot to like about this movie and there's a lot to not like about this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, I think a year ago I watched it and I probably was pulling up my phone being like, this is boring. This is this. And this time around, I was like, let's go. We're stabbing some poor paraplegic in the leg for no reason. I'm out taking notes. <laughs> with, with, with Ron Perlman acting like an ape, like it's yes. no, makes no sense. So, and like, What's unfortunate about Dan and I's situation here is that he's in Austin and I'm in Dallas and I wish that him and I could watch these together at the same time in the same room because we would have such a ball with it. Oh yeah. <laughs> at one point we're going to do that, but uh running commentary. Yes, yes. So written by Joss Whedon, directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet, um and bringing back Sigourney Weaver and adding all these people that have uh starred with Jean-Pierre at some point in time and a few other people. So what is this movie about? So this movie takes <laughs> 200, takes place 200 years after the events of Alien 3. Alien 3, which gets a lot of flack. I actually like it's David Fincher directed. It had a great story of at the end of Aliens 2, when everybody goes into hypersleep and the aliens are with them, they crash land on this crazy planet where there's a prison and only Ripley survives and she's just forced to be in this prison. Hopefully people are there to get her and the alien comes out and it's just fucking chaos. And I, I like that aspect, but this alien resurrection takes place 200 years after alien three. And so it takes place. So there, there's two sets of characters here. There's two sets of factions here. Let, let's, let's break this down as if, if we were pro wrestling. There, there, there's two basically factions here. One are military scientists and the other is kind of like a grab bag, low key idiotic group of people who are flying through space. They're, yeah. And, they're a suicide squad. Yeah. They're a suicide squad. <laughs> The two meet, uh, and that's where everything kind of culminates into like complete disaster, where the military scientists are actually breeding these aliens, and the big twist is that, oh, we're heading to Earth with this, you know, this a- these aliens that they're trying to contain, whatever. And then we see Ripley. What 
Ripley died in Alien 3. She threw herself in the fire and the ultimate sacrifice fucking balls out. It was awesome. But here she is. They cloned her, as we will get to in a hilarious bit down the road. Uh, (laughs) And then she's like like Captain America. She has all these abilities, uh, which include being on the dream team in the 1997 basketball NBA. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Which we we'll can do a whole about. Po- we can do a whole podcast on the basketball scene if you want. It makes right? zero sense. I assume because this Jean, I'm going to butcher his last name. Jean is a Frenchman. Um doesn't know a lot about basketball. I'm just going to guess American basketball. So I feel like he was doing this as like a joke to fully like make I feel like it was an attack on basketball. Just well, I, I just imagine that the studio was like, hey, you need to add a basketball scene here. The, the audience, it's hip. They'll love Did it. Did Space Jam come out this year? <laughs> yeah. I, no, I think it came out earlier. Because I don't think it came out a like year or two gonna... before. So they were like, you know what this movie needs? Basketball. <laughs> Space Jam. So the military, the, the alien gets out um, on this big military ship with the other Suicide Squad on it and everybody's dying and then there's Winona Ryder who we don't know who's about she's there to kill Ripley she's there to kill the alien who knows so um and then there's a twist in the end we'll talk about but uh that's kind of the gist of this movie um as far as like what it's about so um the let let's talk about the good part shall we first yes absolutely so unarguably unarguably it cannot be argued that this is the b-movie batshit goriest alien film ever like it's as if an early peter jackson and quentin tarantino wrote the gore in this movie because holy shit there is so much gross gore in this film (laughs) that it's Borderline B-movie exploitation. It's disgusting. It's not, like, graphic. It's, it's makes your stomach turn. It's, it's gross violence in this one. <laughs> no, it is. It is gross violence. It, it, aliens are not messing around. And, but I like that aspect of it. I'm gonna, that's one of the good moments, I yeah. think, because we had not gotten that. And, of course, in Alien 1, we didn't get it. Aliens 2... Not really. In three, there was a few moments of like blood spurts, but not really. But it in Alien Resurrection, there are scenes of like acid going on people's faces, and even like the climactic scene at the very end with the half-breed human alien that gets sucked out of a little tiny air hole in space. It like and they show it like they show the blood and gut spilling out of this alien and then getting sucked back through the air hole. Yeah. Like, it's so gory and gross, which I love, but we had never seen that in an Aliens movie before. No, it, it, it was, I agree, it's one of the good things. I mean, it earned its R rating. I mean, right. that's, that's for sure. It went, they looked at it and they said, hey, if we're going to have multiple of these things on here with a crew of people, we're going to kill these people in, right. in the most graphic way possible. Because at the end of the day, if this movie doesn't turn into a sci-fi masterpiece, at least it can be essentially a haunted house movie on a spaceship. Right. And that's kind of what it is. And to Jean-Pierre's credit as director, he brought in Joss Whedon, they brought it into kind of a very darkly funny territory. So a lot of the death scenes are actually quite comical, such as Dan Hedaya's death scene where the alien, you know, pokes its little, you know, little mouth, uh, tongue out gets him in the head and he stands there in disbelief and pulls a chunk of his brain out looks at it for a few seconds and then just passes out like that's like looney tunes type shit and or there's also the other gross one where the guy realizes that the um little xenomorph is about to burst out of his chest so he <laughs> runs at the guy who is you know causing problems for the crew and like pretty much bear hugs him so when the chest burster burst out he kills he kills the bad guy too with both of them dying but he like sacrifices himself right with a yeah, chest so, attack yeah that's towards the end of the movie and this guy who has the alien chest burster he grabs the guy grab the guy's head and the alien the alien bursts out of the guy's chest into the skull of the guy he's holding and the guy who had the alien chest burster out that guy is leland orser the actor he was in the guest and and 
he was in. Um, that guy was also the guy in the David Fincher movie Seven as the guy who had the knife dick on him who was saying, I fucked her. I fucked her. Are you serious? That's, <laughs> That's the that same is? guy who's basically playing the same character here. <laughs> Freaking yeah. out and yelling. But yeah, That's Leland him. Orser, same person as the dad in The Guest with um, Dan Stevens. And uh, in Seven, as the guy who had the knife dick for lust who killed That's the prostitute. <laughs> but yeah, there's those scenes and they're darkly funny and silly and cartoony, which we had never seen in an alien movie before. No. So I applaud Jean-Pierre for doing that. And then let's, let's go with the characters, uh, as the, the good characters in it. So arguably, unarguably, the kind of like the worst character that you don't want to like is Ron Perlman as a guy named Ron Johner. <laughs> Ron John, Ron Johner is his name yes. in the movie. And he is such an asshole. And as Dan pointed out, he just throws his knife into the paraplegic at the beginning of the movie as a joke. I mean, his character, essentially they said, oh yeah, he's an older grizzled guy who says inappropriate things and nobody likes but also his purpose on this ship is to mess with the handicapped gentleman. Yeah. Like he goes out of his way to make jokes to like <laughs> physically harm the guy. He is a terrible human being, but for some reason, because it's played by Ron Perlman and it's played in a comedic way, you kind of chuckle at some of it, which you feel, if you think about it, it's like, why am I laughing at the guy throwing a knife at the paraplegic's leg? But it's just, it's so over the top. But, like, interestingly enough, he's the guy that survives at the end. Yes. <laughs> it makes no sense. And so the guy that you think that would survive, the leader of the Suicide Squad, which I'm so glad they killed him off first because he had the worst voice in history. His voice that he used for this character was like an old, like, cowboy whose voice had been marinated over an oven spit cigarette smoke he he sounded like this what is he's in he's another guy who this whole movie's full of that guy it's like you recognize that guy from so many things <laughs> yes and i'm trying to think of the big thing that he was in i want to say it was something like obviously it wasn't um oh he was in westworld recently okay, okay. so yeah but his voice in this whole movie is horrible and luckily right. they kill him off pretty soon because he talks like this yeah. and it's just so pain it's painful to listen to and it's and he speaks as slow as like an int from lord of the rings <laughs> so it's just kind of like let's get to it guys yeah let's go uh, but i will i i give kudos to ron perlman's ron johner <laughs> which is just the best name um solid name yeah, solid name. And uh, the, the paraplegic guy um, who has been in a – his name is Dominique Pinion, um, and he's been in pretty much all of the director's movies, Jean-Pierre's movies, um, okay. which I know they got in there. And then you have Winona Ryder as a lady called Anna Lee Call. And you don't really know, but we'll spoil it her here, who is – who is Winona Ryder's character? Right. Who is she um, like it? And I also thought, like, other than, you know, other than Winona Ryder, who I thought was actually an interesting character in this, I did not find, in doing a lot of reading about it, I didn't find Sigourney Weaver to be very um, enjoyable in this movie, in this version of Ripley. No, she's not, because she's not, she's not a, she's not a, in, in part one, two, and three, she is the ultimate heroine. Like, when right. people think of female heroes, the top of the yeah. list is always Sigourney Weaver from Aliens. Because she yeah. fucking knows her shit, she's smart, and she will fight a fucking queen alien one-on-one. Right. -on -one. She's right. a badass. And in here, which she did not want to do a fourth movie, but she was talked into it because it brought her character in a different direction. Because she is not... I mean, she basically plays... A robot <laughs> but right. she's not a she's, robot she's a clone she's a clone who is part alien was born from a queen alien but has she's the eighth clone 
because yes. she's like Ripley eight or something. She has an yeah, eight she's number tattoo. eight. <laughs> she has an eight tattoo on her arm, and she has alien blood that burns through stuff. And then, of course, the big thing being the fact that she has some of the alien memories. I mean, yeah, alien memories and Ripley memories. So she's right. got like both of them, and she has like a psychic connection with all the aliens too. That's never really explored to their credit. I mean, I don't think that they could explain that in a good way, but she's kept alive. All the other clones had been killed, but this Ripley, they keep around because I guess it has a better, well, as we learned in one of the scenes, um, came out a little bit fully baked from the oven, from the clone oven. Um, right. There, there is a sequence. Point, yeah. In at one point they find a, uh, another clone that they're doing things on and she's on a table, another grotesque horror scene where it's Sigourney Weaver's face and just a completely disfigured, part alien, part human, disgusting. Yeah, it's like a body. David Lynch, you yes. know, John Carpenter, the thing type of thing. And yes. she, she walks into this room where she sees all the previous clones that didn't make it. Right. And when she gets to the one that's still alive, it's got like four legs and just, and it's alive, and it's in pain and, you know. And then Ron Perlman at the end of the scene once Ripley torches it with a flamethrower. Complains about the Ron ammo. Ron Perlman says what we all are thinking, like, why? Like, what, what, waste of ammo. Well, what's the deal? <laughs> waste of ammo. That's why he survived. He's a, he's, a, he's a survivalist. That's why he's there at the end of the movie. So I guess to point out the Captain America-like abilities with Sigourney Weaver's character as Ripley, they did a basketball scene when she's being held captive and prisoner on this military science ship, and then this suicide squad comes in and they meet her in on this ship that has a basketball court. Makes sense. And so they start play, and, and then uh, after a little, uh, a little <laughs> uh, Ron Perlman hitting on Ripley tries to play basketball with her and he cannot get a, he cannot get the ball from her. And then she's just making shot after shot. And dunking, she dunks. She dunks. There is a dunk scene with Ellen Ripley and Sigourney Weaver. It's so bad. It's so it's... bad. <laughs> it really makes no sense. But I just looked it up. Space Jam came out in 1996. Okay, so, so you're basketball in space. Now we've got, hey, you got to throw in this basketball scene. The kids love it. Right? <laughs> so there was a basketball scene. And then, you know, the scene that everybody remembers from this movie is, of course, the swimming scene. Yes. The, the, uh, the ship, part of the ship goes underwater and the whole team has to swim including the paraplegic who's trapped to a guy's back. Now, in the movie, you have to suspend disbelief because they're underwater for what seems like 10 minutes. Minimum. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're underwater for quite a bit of time. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, two aliens just are swimming perfectly towards them, which is a kind of pretty frightening sequence. It's a great, but, it's a great horror sequence. It's great. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think about this scene and how it was done visually speaking still 23 years later? I actually think this scene holds up. I think there's a lot of creature effects and problems that we're going to get to later, but I actually think the whole chase under the water all the way until they get out of the water and have to climb that ladder to safety is a really well written and executed scene as far as horror suspense and the actual danger that our characters were in. I think I think that scene holds up today if that was in a movie. Now, obviously, there's still 1997 CGI when the aliens are swimming, but it still looks good enough. Right. I'm I'm in. I'm buying it. It doesn't look like, you know, clip art or something. But, yeah, it's a a great scene. And the the whole climbing out of the water, going up that ladder with the guy strapped on his back, and he's having to shoot below him to try to keep these aliens who are chasing him. It's a – I think that's – that's easily the standout sequence of the entire movie. If we're talking about good things, that is the high water mark, no pun intended, of yeah. good of good moments in this movie. No, there there are there are some good moments. So, what are like the worst moments? Oh, the, easily for me, the worst moment is the very end with the they do all these great creature designs from the very first Alien all the way up through Prometheus and stuff, and then they have this hybrid weird looking skull alien that's part Ripley 
part alien, but it has human eyes, and there's almost kind of a sexual tension between the alien and Ripley um, towards the very end. That's it's just a terrible effect, and it's so comical. It looks like it has no business being in the movie. You want to talk about when we were talking about B movies? This looks like something that some guy threw together in his garage, filming on his old little <laughs> eight millimeter back in the seventies. That I thought that effect was terrible, and they reveal this crappy, I don't know, hybrid Ripley alien for her to like hug and like kiss on the cheek. They reveal this alien five minutes after they show the alien queen in one of the best special effects of the movie besides the swimming is the fully realized animatronic alien queen which is incredible she's putting out eggs she's huge she's creepy and then they're just like here's a guy in a suit that we're gonna make look sweaty and have a weird face (laughs) yep (laughs) it was awful i think that is i think it's i thought that specific effect and the scene was terrible and of course it's the climax of the movie no, it is a climax of the movie. That's it. Yeah. It, it, the, the sexual tension, because Ripley and her baby, basically. Yes. Uh, it's, there's sexual tension there. They're rubbing all over each other. Like, it's just, like, really weird. It's not a mother-daughter thing. It is no, like, it's not like in a dog, how, like, a dog or a cat will nuzzle you affectionately. Yeah. It's, it's more than that. It's very unsettling. Yeah, it's, re- it's really weird. Uh and I, I, I'm trying to remember what I thought when I saw that first time. I just remember it getting sucked out of the blowhole or the yes. air hole, and which was amazing. Um, but yeah, no, I think there's just a, like a lot of bad elements. Like I just think it's too cartoonish and didn't know what it wanted to do. And they were trying to like, like this movie isn't made, this movie's made for dudes, not women. Like, there's just so much. Because I think Alien and Alien 2 and even Alien 3 could be made for men and women. But Alien 4 is just, like, hardcore genre men fans. Yes. Because yeah. any woman who would see this, like, oh, this is, this is terrible. <laughs> you get, like, why are you watching this? There's no good characters. There's nothing interesting with the. And at the end, she tries to make love to her hybrid baby to yep. trick it. Like, and then well, kills it, yeah. <laughs> what, what are you watching? And be like, yeah, I can't really explain it to you. But there's a cool swimming scene. But there's no redeemable character really in this. I mean, I mean, Ron Perlman is funny. And ultimately, Ripley and Winona Ryder's, Winona Ryder's character do the best they can with the material. But it's, there's not like a heroin aspect to them. They're just, they're clone they're robot droids. And they're going through the motions. Yeah. And that's so, the whole thing is it's revealed about a little more than halfway through that Winona Ryder's character is a new version of the type of androids like Bishop. Yes. And she was actually sent there to, um, essentially, they call her a terrorist. I mean, the... The, the people who own the medical ship call her a terrorist, but she was sent there to destroy the experiments that are going on before it reaches earth. Because I don't know, through her Android thing or whoever sent her, they know that if those aliens get out on earth, then it's game over for earth. Nope. All pun intended game over, man. Game over. <laughs> game over man. <laughs> but so, so she sent there for that, which, what I just described to you and the way I described it, I know, listener, you may roll your eyes when I say this. That's a more interesting movie than what we just watched. Right? No, it, it totally is. Yeah. And, like, you have, like, lines of dialogue that you brought up where Ron Perlman said, like, right, you're the new model droid. You can access the mainframe by remote and, like, save us. And then, of course, her response is, no, I can't. I burned my modem. <laughs> like inside her brain. I burned my modem. And that's like an actual line in the movie. And you're just like, oh my God, oh my God. And then they're, they're just, a lot of it doesn't make sense. But again, this is not the movie the writer Joss Whedon and the director wanted to make. In fact, as let's start going through behind the scenes stuff. This movie, Alien 4, was offered to like five huge directors before they landed on Jean-Pierre. Um, who, who, who did they ask first? Oh, they asked uh, Danny Boyle. 
Yep. They asked Peter Jackson. They mm-hmm. asked um, who else did they ask that was that I was really oh well Brian Singer. Eh. Let's okay. Well, he didn't have all the baggage he has now, but correct. Danny Boyle and Peter Jackson, like those are both incredible ass. I mean, you would have had Peter Jackson be right off the Frighteners, right? And right before he went into doing Lord of the Rings. Right. And this sort of genre horror is right up his alley and all the effects and everything. And then Danny Boyle can go from making stuff like Train Spotting or Slumdog Millionaire to making 28 Days Later. So, you know, he has the chops to do a completely genre terrifying movie. Like, to me, I know you talk about how John Pierre is a great director, but I would have much rather have seen Peter Jackson or Danny Boyle's versions of this movie. Right. No, I mean, me too. Who wouldn't? Yeah. I mean, this falls in line with early Peter Jackson. Like if you've seen uh, Dead Alive, Brain Dead, Bad Taste, Meet the mm-hmm. Feebles, you know that he is just all about the gore and grossness. So this like spoke to him. Um, and Danny Boyle just changes the game every time he makes, makes a movie, you know? Yeah. So I do like that Peter Jackson said that he declined to do it because he couldn't get excited about an alien film, which is, yeah, I'm sure what everybody thought. Yeah. I can't get excited about another aliens movie. I'm sorry. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, Uh, So yeah. So highly recommend city of lost children and um, delicatessen from this uh, Jean Pierre's earlier work. It's unbelievably good. Um, Some of the best visuals you'll see, but here, Joss and Jean-Pierre had this vision. There was an actual screen, a scene written, like a whole nother ending. Well, actually not another ending, like another part of the movie. Whole third act, they said. Yeah, that never happened because studio execs didn't want to do it, which I get it. And like Sigourney Weaver didn't want to do it. I get why, because it needs to be taken, it needs to be taken place like in the Star Wars, like on other planets other than Earth, even though they were going to Earth. But Dan, what was like this final act they were trying to do? So the final act that they originally had, and I think they said Whedon wrote five versions of this script (laughs) to try to appease the producers and everyone who's funding this movie was that they were going to end up on earth. Like this, this ship was going to crash and obviously some face huggers or some of the aliens were going to get out. And the final, the final act was going to be, working with Winona Ryder's character's company who sent her to destroy it and Ripley to try and stop these aliens from taking over planet earth. And that is such a more interesting finale than what we said a thousand times, sexual tension with your hybrid clone baby, and then shooting it through a little hole in the side of the wall. Um, But ultimately they didn't end up doing it. And yeah, they, they didn't want it to be fun they didn't want it to, they literally said, we didn't want Ripley to become a figure of fun. And, and she we definitely to- wasn't in, well, I mean, which they contradict themselves in the basketball scene. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so it's just, they had an opportunity, in my opinion, to, and they still set up when they're overlooking Earth at the very end. They still set up the possibility for this final act that they wrote to be a whole nother sequel, which was clearly abandoned. But I feel like, the movie could have been so much better if it wasn't just another we're trying to get to this ship to get away from this ship, which they had done in the essentially the three previous movies. Now, I know the prison was a little different, but it was still we're trying to get to this location to get away from this other location. Whereas had they crashed and been like, oh, crap, almost like a um, um, Planet of the Apes type ending. Yes. Where they're like, they wake up on a beach or something and they know all the experiments got out. Yeah. And you're like, let's go. I'm ready for movie five. I mean, I got through this borderline terrible movie four, but movie five is setting us up for some great stuff. And, and it's just disappointing that the studio was all about, we want Ripley and we want her on a ship. And Sigourney Weaver was like, do you know what would make my character really interesting? And I'll do this movie if I don't have any personality and I'm a terribly boring clone. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, she, she said she wanted to go somewhere different. She thought she, she took the role because she did not want to do the movie. And then when they talked to her, I think she took on the role because she got to explore 
you never knew where, what side she was going to be on. Like, was she Wait. like going to help the aliens? Was she going to help the humans? She got to explore that. Because and you know what? Hurt. You know what, Sigourney Weaver, who has more money than I'll ever make my entire life, so I shouldn't give you any advice. You know what would have made that part interesting? If you ended up on Earth and you had to choose between your humanity or the alien. Instead, you're just friends with a android in this entire movie and trying not to end up sleeping with your hybrid clone. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, I, I'm pretty sure she, she knows <laughs> how the movie turned out. Like, like it's such a bummer. Like, it, there was so much opportunity here for way better than Alien versus Predator is to just have humans versus alien on Earth. Yeah. Well, I mean, so after this movie, they went the direction of Alien versus Predator <laughs> for a couple movies. And then, which is a whole nother discussion to have later. <laughs> right, right. So, but there was an Alien 5. And I mean, Sigourney Weaver has talked about coming back to the franchise if there's something good out there. But, and with Prometheus and Covenant, you know, and having the original director, Ridley Scott, coming back to do those, they're good in their own right, but there's something missing from it. Like, we want to see Sigourney Weaver back. We want her to be the same character, you know, but I don't know if we'll ever get to that point. Yeah, I, this is where, this is one of those situations where, I mean, we're on the fourth sequel in a very successful, probably what, it's got to had to have grossed over a billion dollar franchise. Well, we have Alien 1, Alien 2, Alien 3, and then Alien Resurrection, that's four. And then we have, oh, yeah. then we have well, there's no sequel after four. So we have prequels, Prometheus and Covenant, right? Yeah, so we're talking about, at least a billion, $1.5 billion franchise probably worldwide. And it's a bummer that while Prometheus and Covenant are, they're fine. There was an opportunity here in the fourth movie to kind of rewrite where this franchise was going to go. And for all we know, we could be still be getting alien sequels every five years up until now. We could have, we could be on like alien eight. And if they figured out the formula and how to use Ripley properly and got good directors behind it, I feel like that's something that I would be interested in seeing every single, you know, four or five years. Well, no, yeah, it's going to be, well, it's going to be interesting considering the last two years, Disney purchased 20th Century Fox, which Aliens is. So is Disney going to, I mean, I could see them going the Star Wars route and kind of rebooting it with the original characters and trying to make it, better than it once was but how do we do that with bringing these characters back you know i i think what they do is they go the um the halloween route you get you get ripley back and you know how halloween the most recent halloweens they just pretend that none of the sequels happened yep and so why don't they just pretend that alien one and two happened but none of the other ones happened and bring Ripley back, have her older, have her be in cryo sleep for however long to get her aged up to where she needs to be, where this makes sense, and just have a new one. Okay, you know? so at the end of Alien 3, she actually didn't throw herself into uh, the fire. It was a, a nightmare she was having, and she got rescued. Right. Okay, there you go. <laughs> bring okay. her back. She never died. That's fair. And, and then we still get to have one of the worst David Fincher movies on there. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, with rock. It's canon, everyone. It's canon. The prison it's, was canon. <laughs> yes, it's canon. It's canon. Oh my goodness. Uh, so there, this movie. My goodness, that just <laughs> this... it, a lot of it just doesn't make sense. Um, just because there's, I mean, okay. So what do you think about the look of the creatures? I know we talked about the alien queen she looked awesome she looked beautiful she was great but she like was easily killed you know she yeah. was she didn't have a fight or anything right that's fine i didn't but mind you were fine that. with that they okay looked, it looked good okay so the the aliens i think they looked i think one of the best aspects of the movie minus the hybrid at the very end which was of course still as we said laughable right hilariously bad yeah um and uh 
do you, do you think like Sigourney Weaver took this just for the exploration of her character or just because they offered her millions and millions of dollars? I mean, it's a money grab. I think it's both. I think that's one of the things you say after Alien 3, you say, I'm never going to do another one of these again. And they come over to your house and they say, hey, do you want $10 million and a producing credit? And you say, yeah, also this character, you guys are really exploring it. Like, that's what you say on red carpets. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't blame her. I would have done the same thing. Someone wants to come pay me $10 million on a producer credit to be in a bad movie. I'll do it in two seconds. Like, why would she say no to that? Yeah, no, for sure. So I don't blame her for that. But as far as the, the other creatures, I thought all the creatures looked great except for the hybrid at the end. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I agree with you on that. Um, yeah. Also, it looks like Ron Perlman did uh, most of his own stunts, which is really cool. And because he's one of the coolest actors, people, just a, f- a fun guy to watch on screen. He's very cool. Uh, and um, yeah, I, it, it's a move. It's so if you're watching aliens quadrilogy, or if you're watching all of them, is this one you can skip or is this one you have to watch? Cause this is technically the last alien film we got, you know, we got Prometheus and covenant, but those are prequels to the first alien movie. I think this is the one you can skip. So just end it on alien three. I think that's yeah. a good bookend because Ripley dies. Yeah. I think you, I think you can end it on I think you can end it on 3 cuz I would watch Prometheus Covenant over this movie and obviously Alien and Aliens are all-time classics and they're just not even touchable. Those movies are on on a pedestal deservedly so. And then I would watch Alien 3 again before I would watch Alien. So yeah, I think this is the only this one you can skip and you're not really missing anything out. No, you're not because the movie does not need to exist. Like it doesn't further <laughs> anybody's character at all. No, no. Because in Alien 3, we have Ripley's arc, we have Newt's arc, and we have Bishop's arc. They're all right. kind of in there. I mean, Newt meets her end at the very beginning of the opening credits. Alien that's 3. We yeah, like, like we know what happens characters. to her. But like in Alien 4, like Ripley's gone. She's a different like character. So yeah, she's not, not herself. So. Yeah, there, there, there's that. Okay, so is there any ridiculous political or social commentary in Alien Resurrection other than Earth is a shithole, as um, Ron Perlman's character says in the movie? <laughs> Which, I mean, he's not wrong. So, yeah, no, I didn't think there was anything. It was, uh, I mean, there were problematic things like, you know, the abuse of the disabled. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that was obviously, that's obviously frowned upon in anything, but that was more just to show his character as an asshole. I mean, is is it, is it still, cause like the overall arching theme of all the aliens movies is uh, government and big corporations trying to make money and do anything, even killing people. Uh, I know, I know this makes me such a pathetic cynic, but this movie wasn't even smart enough to get my juices flowing on that topic. You know, like the way that they, the way that they handled it or the way that they discussed it or the way they even presented it didn't make me think anything beyond the surface level of what the movie is like. These are the bad guys because they have lab coats. Right. Like that's as far as they went into it. And so I was just kind of like, I did laugh though whenever, what was it, Brad Dorff said, um, they're working on training. Yes. And I thought to myself, that's so stupid. And then I remembered from our last episode where we talked about how Owen, Owen Grady from Jurassic Park franchise now trains raptors. And I was like, well, what yep. are you going to do? Yeah. So yeah, they're trying to train aliens to, you know, be house pets basically, which just is <laughs> so stupid. And Brad Dourif, I must say, there's a scene with him where he's like, he hasn't been killed, but he, I guess he must have an alien inside him. But he's like wrapped up in like the cocoon-like stuff of the aliens. Mm-hmm. And the alien goes over to him to kill him. And in that moment, as he's talking to the alien and to whoever, um, 
his Chucky voice comes out completely. <laughs> it's oh, really I, great. I didn't even catch that. It does. It it does because he gets like more amped up and yes. hyper, and the Chucky voice comes out, and it's like, oh yes, yes, yes. Because we don't get Brad Dourif's Chucky voice in Lord of the Rings as Grimma Wormtongue, but we <laughs> definitely get it. We we got it before he did Chucky, and once one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but. In Alien Four, man, it comes out for like a good couple of minutes, and you're just like, "Oh my god, that's Chucky I yelling at aliens!" Together. I was like, "This is a fun voice," and I knew he did Chucky. I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> You'll have so to go fun. back and watch that scene again, and be like, "Oh shit, it's Chucky!" <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So yeah, any political, social content other than Earth being a shithole. And all corporations like to exploit people. No, no, that's pretty standard. Yes, that, that's, that's, that's pretty standard. Okay, so final thoughts and recommendations on this movie. Like, I think we said it. Like, you can skip this one. Yeah, there's no reason one. for it. I mean, I, I feel bad. I feel like YouTube the swimming scene. And if right. you need a laugh, YouTube the uh, basketball scene. I know I have before. And other than that, watch a different Alien movie. And isn't it strange and weird and odd and crazy to think that Joss Whedon wrote this movie? Because Joss Whedon is usually known for writing excellent material, like from from Buffy to Angel to Firefly to Avengers. Like, well, he's very good. good. Yeah, he, he's known for at the very minimum. Even somebody who doesn't like him would have to say he's good at writing characters who you believe know each other, get along, and have, like, a history with each other. They have, right. like, that camaraderie of the dialogue between them. And in this movie, there's none of that. Now, whether it was left on the cutting room floor, whether it was script script edits, what it was, but it didn't feel that in the movie. There right. wasn't a yeah. warmth to it. You can still have all this gross gore and everything and have the warmth of a – Oh, this team knows each other. They know exactly what's going on. And they can joke with one another and rib one another, but they do that in this movie, but it's very hateful. Yes. (laughs) And very, yeah, like nobody likes each other. He's also known, he's, Joe Sweden is also, well, was also well known for really having well-written female characters. And he doesn't really have any well-written characters in this movie. Right, no, um, because it's only he, Winona Ryder. Oh, and, and one of the Suicide Squad who basically is only part in the movie is her in a thong getting a foot massage yeah. <laughs> with her so, ass up in the air. Which, hey, that, I mean, based on recent news reports, that may be more Joe Sweden style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, but like that, that part also su- surprised me just thinking of how he's known, like, look how well he, he did Buffy or he tried to give Black Widow this stuff in the big Avengers movie, give her a bigger arc. And Angel, he had, uh, what was her name? Whoever Charisma Carpentier's character yeah. was. She really became a big part. And he's like known, like people, Joss Whedon, Whedonites yeah. will like fight you to the death if you try to say that he doesn't like respect female characters. And this one, he didn't have any. Right. He had two no. robot clones that he yeah. gave zero personality to for an entire movie. Yeah, and it sucks, and I gotta believe, because I feel like I've read that the studio execs are like, we gotta make this gorier and more ridiculous, and I don't think he wanted to do that, but it happened, and it's on screen, and it just, it it's not like a fun watch, like, you just nobody, I mean, it's funny to watch Ron Perlman just be an ass to everybody, and usually that character dies, but he survives, and it's great. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think if this has taught us anything, if this experiment of doing Alien Resurrection has taught us anything, I think, I think we need to do a movie that we enjoy. I think we need to wash the. I think we need to wash this taste out of our mouth. I feel like it needed to be discussed. It needed to be broken down. And now I'm like, yeah, why, why, why does this exist? It doesn't need like we're t- we're telling people this is the one movie in a series of six movies. You can skip this one; it means nothing. No, yeah, but you can skip it in the fact that it doesn't further the story at all. But it also brings like some good aspects to it. Like if somebody in an alien an alien movie fan wanted all the gore, this would be the one to watch because it That's is true. super gory and gross. If you want to see a basketball scene with Ripley, like you get it. If you want to see 
more dark humor other than uh, Bill Paxton freaking out. You'll get it in this movie. So there are some redeeming aspects to it. But to further this alien storyline, there's none of it. None whatsoever. No, it's, and, it's terrible. And it's unfortunate that um, there hasn't been a fifth one. Hopefully at some point Disney will remake it with Sigourney Weaver and we'll get No, they'll there. put Daisy Ridley in it and... <laughs> John Boyega. And she'll, be, she'll become <laughs> friends with the aliens and it'll be... Uh, it'll be... You know exactly what it will be. It'll be PG-13 at best. It's called oh. the a- the alien aliens awaken. Yes, that's exactly what it will be. <laughs> and then the last alien, and then the rise of the xenomorph. <laughs> 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 oh, goddamn Disney. Okay, so that wraps up our episode of Fear and Loathing in Cinema, episode three. I'm Brian Kluger. Um, yeah. Where and then Dan Moran's here. Where where can they, everybody find you, Dan? I. Dan J. Moran. That's my handle on everything. Search yes. Dan J. Moran. You can yeah, and me. come to Boomstick Comics and read his tenant review. It's a it's yes. a good one. And if you want to, if you're if you have no responsibilities in life, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And thank you. We'll be back in a week or two with our uh, fourth episode. We don't know if we're going to do a fifth sequel or not, but mm. we'll 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 be thinking of one. And, we will uh, find one. We will. And we love you all. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.